Support comes from the Discovery Inn on Washington's San Juan Island, an island getaway that's a ferry ride away, now taking reservations for summer and fall. More information and booking available at discoveryinn.com. Support comes from Kenmore Air, offering getaways to charming Victoria, B.C. with daily flights. Just a quick 45-minute flight from Seattle to Victoria's Inner Harbor, from only $169 per person one way. Bookings available now at KenmoreAir.com. Hey, good morning. It's Patricia Murphy. It's Monday. This is Seattle Now. Washington voters, you have a big decision to make this November, and I'm not talking about the presidential election. Six initiatives to alter and repeal state laws are making their way through the state legislature and will be on your ballot this year. These initiatives would significantly change the policies laid out in Washington right now and the state's trajectory on things like climate change. Northwest News Network reporter Jeannie Lindsay will explain what you need to know about the process and the possible ripple effects for schools and environmental work in the state. But first, here's what's coming up this week. The eight current city council members will vote on a temporary replacement for the council's vacant seat Tuesday. It's the seat left vacant by Teresa Mosqueda. 72 people filed applications to be considered for the position, including a few who ran unsuccessfully for other council seats last year. The council's already picked eight finalists who will give short presentations at a public meeting today ahead of the vote. That meeting is also your chance to show up and speak to the council if you have opinions. There's a public hearing tomorrow on a bill that would require pet daycare facilities to install fire alarm systems and sprinklers. The bill to add the protections follows two fires at two separate locations of Seattle's dog resort. The company's Lake City location caught fire in February last year. Its Soto location in November, one dog fleeing died in the second fire. Under the proposal, daycares would lose their license if they don't follow the new rules. And King County will begin the tough work of trying to tally just how many people are living unsheltered on our streets this week. The Regional Homelessness Authority will begin conducting the point-in-time count at 17 locations across the county over the next two weeks. The authority says the people interviewed will be compensated for their time by receiving a visa gift card. The authority estimates that 53,000 people experience homelessness yearly in King County, but good data is hard to come by. It's likely higher. Lawmakers are busy in Olympia this week, working through a long to-do list during this year's legislative session. One key issue on their plate, a set of six voter initiatives that a Republican interest group wants to put on ballots in November. The initiatives cover a lot of ground, but Northwest News Network reporter Jeannie Lindsay explains that two would have a big impact on the state's budget. There's the one that would repeal the Climate Commitment Act. A lot of that funding goes to uh, environmental projects, things like that. Another would repeal the state's capital gains tax, and that taxes profits from sales of assets like stocks and bonds that are over a quarter of a million dollars. The other initiatives span a lot of issues. One would change the rules for law enforcement officers engaging in car chases. Another would let Washingtonians opt out of the state's long-term care tax. 
There's another that would establish a so-called parent bill of rights, basically outlining parents' rights to oversee their kids' schooling and, and things like that. And then the final one would ban income taxes in Washington. Washington doesn't have income taxes right now, but this initiative would say you can't do it, even if you were thinking about it. Before voters get their say, lawmakers have a chance to respond to the initiatives. Jeannie Lindsay is here to explain why the initiatives are being considered in the first place and tell us what voters need to know. She's joining us from Olympia, where she covers all things state government. Hey, Jeannie, glad you're here. Glad to be here. Just to review, anyone can put an initiative on the ballot here in Washington. As long as they get enough signatures, who is behind these initiatives? If folks listen to my reporting on this, I'll say Republican-backed policy initiatives because Mm. the person who sponsored all of these is Representative Jim Walsh. He's a Republican lawmaker from Aberdeen. He was also elected the Washington State Republican Party chair last year. And so he's the guy who filed the paperwork with the Secretary of State's office to get these going. But then, I mean, initiatives take a lot of time and effort. You have to gather 320,000 signatures in order for them to move forward, more than 320,000. So that takes time and effort. And so uh, Republican mega donor Brian Haywood essentially bankrolled this effort, um, helping hire people to do the work of signature gathering. So um, a lot of support, even among Republicans who aren't necessarily tied to it, but who support the vision for repealing some of these policies and, and just the policies in these initiatives themselves. So we're talking about six initiatives put forward by Republican leaders in our state. But why aren't we talking about Democratic initiatives? Are there any of those? Not this time. So Democrats control both sides of the legislature. They control the House and the Senate. And we have a Democrat governor. So Democratic proposals don't really need to go to this voter signature gathering process that's sort of alongside or outside of the legislature because Democrats control basically what happens in the legislature. Democrats decide which bills get brought to the floor for votes. They decide who chairs the committees and the committee chairs decide the agendas for the committees. This process was built in the state's constitution in order to give voters and people across Washington the option to to make their voices heard uh, if they're not satisfied with what the legislature is doing, regardless of who controls it. But we're not seeing Democratic policies um, needing the initiative process because they've got the legislative process. Initiatives are pretty simple and powerful. You know, voters get to choose yes or no. But before that, there is a process. So let's talk about what needs to happen for these initiatives to appear on my ballot this November. Yeah, so the process uh, is is different depending on what type of initiative is. But for this conversation, I'm just going to focus on initiatives to the legislature because that's what we're dealing with. There has to be a number of registered Washington voters. There have to be more than 320,000 who sign on to these petitions saying, yeah, I support this initiative. So that was the effort that Brian Haywood's group and others involved in the Let's Go Washington group. That's what they were doing all of last fall. The deadline was December 29th. So once they had these petitions, they delivered them to the Secretary of State's office. And then the Secretary of State's office goes through and basically confirms each of these initiatives got enough signatures from voters in order to move on to the next phase of the process. The next stop is the legislature. And lawmakers have a couple of things that they can do. They can enact it. They can just say, yeah, sure, let's do it. 
for these Republican-backed proposals, that isn't going to happen. I mean, these proposals that are being targeted were Democratic priorities. So the legislature is not going to adopt these. If they do, I would be incredibly shocked. Then there's two options. Lawmakers can do nothing and it'll just go directly to voters. Or lawmakers can propose an alternative that will appear on voters' ballots, basically giving voters the choice to to choose between a lawmaker-approved alternative or the initiative itself. So the question now is, will voters just decide yes or no on these initiatives, or will lawmakers propose an alternative for them to pick between? Jeannie, you've mentioned the name Brian Haywood a couple of times during this interview. Let's talk about who he is. Yeah, so he's he's a Republican mega donor. He has um, put a lot of money towards Republican campaigns and causes. He actually backed eleven policy initiatives a couple of years ago. They didn't quite gain the traction they needed in order to get enough signatures, so none of those made it to the legislature. So this time around, um, he and others who are looking at these issues decided to focus on just these six. They sort of prioritized, and these were the the big six that were important. So he's he spent time. Time on the initiative process in the past, but he's also spent time and money um, for Republican campaigns and causes. Well, let's narrow in on a couple of the issues that did make it to the legislature. One of them would repeal the state's capital gains tax, which just successfully fended off a lawsuit saying it was unconstitutional. What would the impact be if that law was actually repealed? Yeah, so state law says the money from the capital gains tax goes to school construction. And then it goes into a state funding account specifically for education, including early learning and child care. So the capital gains money is basically school money. Now, in its first year, the capital gains tax brought in almost $900 million. So it's a pretty significant chunk of change that the state would no longer have access to if the capital gains tax is taken away. All right. Significant. Another important bill for the state's long-term planning is the Climate Commitment Act, and it's also one that this group has filed an initiative to overturn. Remind us what it does. It's the law that created the state's carbon emissions auctions, which basically says if you're a giant company and you've got a lot of pollution, you've got to pay a certain amount of money in order to do that. And the idea is that over time, the the limit or the, the maximum amount of pollution will sort of be tapered down so that by 2050, the vision is, is that Washington will be carbon neutral. The repeal effort would undo those carbon emissions auctions and the funding that comes with that. And so the the funding piece of it is pretty significant because in the first year of the carbon emissions auctions, they brought in about $1.8 billion, billion with a B. That's for things like electric buses and electric ferries. It's for climate restoration projects. It's for solar panels and, and all kinds of things. So these issues are all really complex. It would really limit lawmakers' ability to make more changes to these programs in the future. So if voters decide to reject the Climate Commitment Act repeal, voters across Washington agree to keep it in place, lawmakers can come back next year and make changes to that law. But if voters adopt the repeal and decide the Climate Commitment Act, we're going to get rid of it. 
lawmakers can't bring that back for several years. So it really would restrict how lawmakers can be flexible around these policies that they say are important to their communities, their constituents, and to people across the state. So it's going to be a pretty significant vote uh, and decision for people to make, depending on what their priorities are for the state of Washington. You know, I'm really glad you brought up the complexity of the legislation that we're talking about here, because these initiatives are left up to voters. But legislators have staff that spend months researching stuff for them, crafting laws, making sure they're sound. Voters, when they weigh in, don't necessarily have any of that assistance or background. How can voters actually prepare to make these decisions? It's really tough because exactly to your point, I mean, we as journalists and reporters spend all day trying to figure out what is going on with these policies and legislative staff and lawmakers try to figure out how to make these policies. I think my best advice for voters, (laughs) selfishly, I'll just plug, listen to KUOW, listen to the news, pay attention to what's being written about it. When you're listening to lawmakers, they all sort of have their own spin, their own agenda, and our job as members of the press is to give people as comprehensive as a look that we can give on these these really complicated topics. So pay attention to what's being written about in the news. And I also think that it boils down to what people's priorities are. Self-reflection, community engagement, talking to your neighbors, talking to people who are affected by these issues, and supporting and reading your your local news or listening to your local news station, um, I think are all critical things for voters as we get into a big 2024 election cycle. We are. And there's a lot of spin going on out there. Jeannie Lindsay, really appreciate your time. Thanks so much. Yeah, you're welcome. Jeannie Lindsay reporting from Olympia. Thanks for listening to Seattle Now and extra thanks to the generous listeners who financially support this show. Today's episode was produced by Claire McGrain. She's glad this episode got some of her early voting research out of the way. Our production team also includes Caroline Chamberlain Gomez, Jenny Cecil Moore, and Vaughn Jones. Matt Jorgensen does our theme music. Seattle Now and KUOW Public Radio are members of the NPR Network. It's an independent coalition of public media podcasters. You can find more shows in the network wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Patricia Murphy. See you tomorrow. Seattle in the 90s. A tidal wave of iconic music roars out of this sleepy city and launches a pop culture revolution. Here's a story you haven't heard. Let the Kids Dance is a new podcast about the rise and fall of Seattle's teen dance ordinance, the law that made it illegal for young people to go to concerts. A story of moral panic, grassroots activism, and an unstoppable music community that fought for its freedom. Listen to Let the Kids Dance from KUOW and the NPR Network.